Hey there, I'm Brad Feld, co-host of the Give First podcast, along with David Cohen. In this podcast, we talk about mentors and entrepreneurs in the startup world and discuss the concept of Give First, which means being willing to help other people without an expectation of return. It's not altruism. You do expect to get something back, but you just don't know when, from whom, and what consideration over what time period. Stay tuned for some great stories from some outstanding entrepreneurs about how making Give First makes great entrepreneurship possible. And now, before we really get started, the legal stuff, spoken really quickly. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversation is for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal, business, investment, or tax advice, and it's not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. This is not in tiny little print at the bottom of the advertisement on your TV set, because it's a podcast. Welcome to today's episode of the Techstars Give First podcast. Our guest today is Rajat Bargava, who I'm delighted to get to interview. I met Rajat when he looked like he was about 14, and 25 years or so later, he still looks like he's about 14, which I think is awesome because he's an ageless man, but uh, a great friend of mine and somebody who I've done a bunch of businesses with. So, uh, Raj, welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're too kind. Um, I wish I still looked like I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's nice to nice to be here with you and nice to nice to catch up. Why don't just this way of intro sort of tell the listeners what you're doing today and sort of how you got to this place, what you've done up to this point? Sure. So I'm running a company called Jump Cloud. Company's based in Boulder, focused on a product called Directory as a Service. It's in the identity and access management space, kind of a B two B category. I've been an entrepreneur all my life, basically um, after college or during college, Brad, you and I have done now, I don't know, seven or eight companies together, but uh, really kind of in my blood to go found companies, run companies, build cool products and and have fun doing it. I still very viscerally remember the first time we met, but I don't know that I've ever asked you to describe it from your frame of reference, which kind of feels silly to me. So in addition to describing it to me, why don't you describe it to whomever happens to be listening? What was that first moment that we first met? What do you remember about it? Well, there's two moments I remember really sort of vividly. The first one was when you were a guest lecturer at one of my classes at MIT. I took a business class. I was an EECS major, course six for the MIT folks out there. But the first time was just you were a guest speaker and it was amazing. Like I, It was one of those jaw-dropping moments where I was like, wow, this is this is what I want to do when I get out of school. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to run a business. I want to have the experiences that Brad's had. And so I went up afterwards, and I think you remember this, and introduced myself and and got your information, and but didn't really do anything with it. This was in the fall, I think, of 93, so a long time ago, kind of aging, aging myself. But And then the second one was probably even more powerful was I somehow figured out that you were guest lecturing again the next semester. And at this point, we had uh, a bunch of friends and I had started a, a business called NetGenesis and we didn't know what we were doing. So I thought, well, Brad's guest lecturing at this class. I'll go and, and say hello. And that process of saying hello was amazing because you said, hey, let's go have lunch. I'm happy to help. Let's go spend some time together. And I was floored because I was not expecting that at all. I, I thought I would come up and talk to you and ask you a few questions. 
you might, you know, give me a couple answers and kind of send me on my way. Cause I obviously didn't know anything about building a business, but you said, no, let's go have lunch. Let's get together. Let's talk about it. And that was amazing. I mean, sort of the context or subtext of what we're talking about here, give first, that was, you know, kind of my first experience of, of give first in a really incredible way. For the internet historians out there, I'll, I'll play back part of not my first moment with Raj, but uh, one of the early moments was the very first person who showed me the World Wide Web was Raj. Remember that day we were on the second floor of the student yep. center? Yep. And uh, it was on a Athena cluster machine. I think it was probably a, a deck risk machine or something like that. Yeah, it might have been a Sun Workstation. Yeah. Sun Workstation, yeah. right? Giant, giant monitor with an yep. early, you know, mosaic browser, zero point something. Yep. And uh, the application I remember seeing was was called Freshman Fish Wrap, which was like the you know daily MIT newspaper, but on the web. And you know that was my equivalent version of it. I'm like, after having been a you know software developer and having built a couple of companies that were you know first doing DOS based stuff and then Windows based stuff and database, and I knew what the internet was and I had an email address and all that. And then I I saw this thing. I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, it's all going to be different in the future. <laughs> and I still remember getting emails from you saying, hey, can I come over and play on your T1, basically? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Because so we, had, we had good, ban- good bandwidth at MIT. So yeah, it was, it was funny. That was, those, were, those were fun. A little bit better than my dial-up line. Yeah. So let's talk about that first company, NetGenesis, which you know, was started by you and uh, a bunch of your friends in 1994. Yep. I spent a couple minutes like how did that evolve and and who was really impactful on that at the time when, you know, each of you were really just graduating college. I think a couple of the people on the team were still in college at the time. Yeah, there's I think there were six of us that started. There's only a few that kind of made it all the way through. But you know, it was so the business was basically trying to sort through how do we take advantage of this thing called the World Wide Web which was super brand new at the time. I mean, it came out, if I remember right, October of 93 is when the first browser kind of hit. I could be off by a month or two, but it was in that sort of zone. And we started our business in January, December, January of December 93, January 94. And we had no idea what we were going to do, but we said, this, this thing that's the web is going to change stuff. And so we said, why don't we, why don't we just try and figure out how do we build sites or how do we do commerce? And we didn't really know what to do, but we just, six of us got together and we said, there's something here. And I'd say that we fumbled around a lot, but we showed you the web for the first time. I think we showed Will Herman, who was another hugely impactful person on the business and on my life. And then we showed people like ESPN the web for the first time. So it was a great experience, but we didn't know how to build a business. And so that's where I think getting your help, you really dove in to say, hey, do we want to build a consulting business? Do we want to build a product business? And then we eventually chose to build a product business and, and the business ended up uh, growing from there. You mentioned Will Herman, who is still a close friend of yours, a very close friend of mine, was somebody that I met very early on in my entrepreneurial journey. Uh, my first business partner, Dave Joke, was the, I think the first non-founder employee of Will's Will's company that he started, ViewLogic. When you think about those early interactions with Will, and you know, you and I spent a lot of time together, and I spent a lot of time, you know, with the rest of the team at NetGenesis. And Will and I spent a lot of time together. But then you had this other relationship with him as well that's evolved over the years to today, where Will's on the board of JumpCloud. He's been on the board of multiple companies of yours. How do you think about 
someone like Will in the context of your life and as both an entrepreneur, but also sort of in the context of your own growth and development as a person? Yeah. I mean, Will's been unbelievably impactful for me personally and professionally. I think, you know, there was a period of time where at the beginning of, of NetGenesis, Will and I were talking once or twice a week. We had a standing call and he was basically, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. It was so early on and just being in school, we were still in school at the time and just learning, how do you run a business? How do you start a business? How do you get going? And it was incredible to have, you know, an hour or two of his advice every single week. And it was like gold. And then, you know, he went off and did a bunch of things where we didn't keep in touch quite as much. You and I kept in touch probably much more, but Will was creating a bunch of different businesses. And then he ended up running a a pretty significant size business, which was all consuming for him. But then we got reconnected and and he's been on the board of, of two or three of my other companies. And I'd say that the relationship has only deepened since then. Now it's, I feel like he's a co-founder with me at Jump Cloud now. He's that sort of impactful and involved. I mean, we, we talk many, many times a week. He knows everything that's going on, but he's like this incredible sounding board and he's constantly pushing me. So constantly telling me to look at different perspectives or pushing a little bit harder or also encourage me times when I'm down or discouraged. He's also coming back to, Hey, you know, let's make sure we get back to center because things are going well. So, I mean, I don't know how to describe it other than just an incredible person in my life. That's awesome. I feel the same way about Will. I have, uh, uh, there's a a couple of us, uh, that have been friends now for, it's remarkable to maybe I'll say this over 30 years. And, and Will's in this group with, uh, uh, Warren Katz, who's runs a tech stars program in Boston around, um, the Air Force and Dave Joke, who is my first business partner. And it's just, it's sort of interesting to reflect on the journey now, many, many years later, and how how different we were back in 1993 than we are today in a lot of ways, but also how similar we are based on those, those sort of cumulative experiences. Well, I always like to think about for you, think about how many people you have met in that intervening time period. And you still go back to you know, those three people as being kind of your core, a core part of your life. Right. And, and that's, I, I mean, I think that's kind of an amazing way to look at it. Well, it's, it's one of the things I'm, I'm proud of in terms of my own value system. Amy, Amy, my wife and I talk about this and, and Raj, you obviously know Amy extremely well. Each of us, eh, we've lost a few friends over our lives, but not yep. very many. Yep. And yeah, you know, people do things that hurt other people and that disappoint them and things don't work out in a way where the relationship sustain, but it, it's a thing that is part of the ethos of a lot of the value system of the network that we're part of, which is this notion that, you know, when, when things work great, when things don't work, you know, okay. When you make mistakes, if you own your mistakes, that's okay. And the relationships can evolve. I mean, I, I remember maybe, maybe you have a different view of this experience, but it's, it's a good example of the evolution of that personal experience was, I remember one of our experiences from Interliant, which was, you know, one of the companies that you and I did together, where I didn't behave in a particularly, I would say generous or thoughtful way with regard to you at a critical moment, a time of transition for the business. And I think that would have been a very easy moment in time for you to be pissed off at me and decide, you know, screw this guy. I don't need to deal with him anymore. 
Uh, do you, you remember the moment I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And, you know, of course the moment's hurtful um, at the time, but you then, you kind of work through it. You talk about it, you know, you, you work through it and, you know, we're all going to do things that end up, you know, we try and do things that don't hurt other people, but you inevitably, if you have a long enough relationship, you are going to do things that, you know, either are hurtful or maybe weren't exactly what the other person wanted. And I, that's just life. And so you have to also be able to talk about that and figure out how do you get past it? I mean, if you can't get past that, I'm not sure how you're going to sustain a relationship, a real intense, deep relationship with somebody uh, over the long term. It doesn't seem like that that's possible. So you've had a ton of success and yet you just keep starting companies. Why? Well, I think for me, it's like a puzzle. It feels like you're trying to figure something out and there's this sort of intellectual curiosity. There's this drive. There's this desire to sort of put this hazy picture or puzzle that's, you know, spread out all over the place together in a way that makes sense. And I just love doing that. And I feel like Jump Cloud's a great example of that. I think the other companies that we've done together have been an example of that. Sometimes they work and you figure the puzzle out. Sometimes you don't. It sucks when you don't, but you know, you also learn from that and you know, you hope that you get better the next time you're trying to figure that puzzle out. So Jump Cloud's your most recent company. Spend a few minutes just on origin story, like how it came about and also how it's how it's evolved into what it is today and give give people a sense, maybe start with a sense of the context of what it is today and whatever metrics you want to use in terms of size and, and, and scope of the business. Yeah. I mean, the company now is scaling company. We've raised publicly disclosed of, you know, 90 plus million dollars. So we're kind of going for it. The company's in a pretty interesting space. It's the space is called identity and access management. And I think the particular niche in the category that we focus on was a kind of missed category. It's a technology called directory services. And uh, for the lay people out there, it's basically when you log into your computer, we're trying to make sure that you have access to everything that you need when you're at a at a corporation or an organization, a business. And that could be your your computer, it could be your servers, it could be your files, it could be your network, it could be really applications. It could be kind of any IT resource out there. So that's kind of what we're trying to do. And that's sort of, I'd say, the context. And I think it's a pretty significant problem as everybody kind of moves towards leveraging IT and IT technology in a pretty significant way, kind of controlling who can access what, when, where, how is a pretty fundamental part of any network. So that's kind of what we're doing today. How did you get from sort of a gem of an idea or a germ of an idea to that point? Yeah. So the idea actually came to me, this concept of directory services and doing something sort of next generation directory services kind of came to me probably in 2007, 2008. And it was really sort of stemming from some work that we were doing in the directory services space with another company that that we did together called Still Secure. And I kept asking our team, why is the only directory service out there this thing called Microsoft Active Directory? And I just couldn't figure it out. So I played with the concept. I kept trying to come back to it. And I probably spent six months a year kind of just thinking about it. And I could never figure it out because at the time, it was really Windows dominant. Everything was pretty much on-prem. G Suite, Google Apps, whatever you want to call it, was just kind of starting out. AWS was pretty nascent. Mac and Linux weren't really as popular as they are today. So I just couldn't figure it out. But then, you know, three, four years later, we kind of came back around to that idea. And that idea 
wasn't sort of originally what we started JumpCloud with, but we kind of got there very quickly because the problems that we were solving, customers would come back to us and say, hey, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? And then one day we just kind of put it together and said, oh, we've just got to do this next generation directory service. And, and when somebody said the term directory as a service, it's sort of all clicked. And I think you know that you and I had a conversation like probably that day when it sort of clicked for me. And, and then I think we got pretty excited about it. Yeah, I remember the conversation, actually. I was in my car driving to the mountains for the weekend to our place in Keystone at the time. And uh, uh, there was a section where I had really crappy self-service. And I remember sort of having to pull over because we're in this engaged <laughs> conversation. I'm like, ah, I just want to get through this. Yeah, and it just sort of all, it all crystallized. And I think, I think it crystallized for you, too, a little bit. And you're like, oh, this, yeah, this could make sense and, and we should try it. Yeah, I remember in, the, in that moment for me, like you were incredibly, you know, sort of in your head, like clear, like, all of these, you know, as you said earlier, puzzle pieces, all these puzzle pieces fit together for this. And for me, it was less that I reacted as an investor saying, yep, that's a huge thing. We should go for it. It was more that I reacted to what I, I felt around your obsession with that particular thing. You know, like, like you had been yep. searching around, you found it and like, I found it. This is it. I found it. And it was very, very easy for me to say, yeah, it makes sense. Go for it. Let's see where it goes. Yeah. And I think that's been one of the things about in our relationship that I think has really stood out is that, you know, it's less about sort of this analytical investor mind of, you know, what's the TAM, you know, what's the market share you can get. It's, it's really more about what's the conviction that we have? What's the passion that we have? Like, do you believe in this? Is this what you want to spend your time on? Are you engaged in it? Like, those are the core things I've always felt in whenever we've discussed kind of these kinds of things. One of the things we talk about at Foundry Group is that all of the partners work on all of the companies together and we're all responsible for everything versus individual partners having their individual deals. And JumpCloud's actually a good example of it because I was on the board of JumpCloud, you know, from from inception for some period of time. And then there was a, a moment in time where I felt, you know, very maxed out in terms of the stuff that I had going on across all of the different companies that I was responsible for. And uh, Seth jumped in and jumped in, sorry to use. <laughs> and, <laughs> see what I did there? Seth jumped in and yes, <laughs> and uh, jumped up and down on the jump cloud board. But he sort of, you know, just sort of stepped in to that role and is today on, on, on your board. And you continue to have a close relationship with both of us. But let's talk about your relationship with Seth and how that's evolved some as well. And sort of the dynamics of working with multiple people at the same venture firm and sort of how that has been helpful or disruptive. What elements of that jump out at you as, uh, as positive things? Well, I, I don't know if I've felt the disruptive part. I need to think about that. I think it's generally when you get a chance to work with multiple people at a firm, I think it's a good thing. Like today, we even work with Moody on the team as well. So it's not that it's just you and Seth. I mean, there's other folks involved too. But with Seth, you know, I think it was an interesting of overall, it's been an interesting arc of a relationship, right? Like, cause I think he came in and you even told me this, that he was a little bit skeptical cause he's taken over something and he wasn't sure what was here and what we had. And, you know, he wasn't sure cause he hadn't spent as much time in it as you had. And then once he got there, I think we asked him to come jump on customer calls, come spend time with the team, meet with folks, really just get immersed in it. And I think that started to get him excited about kind of what the what the opportunity was and what we were focused on and how we were trying to tackle the opportunity. And I think even since then, 
you know, it's just that working relationship of going deep on the whole concept and everything that we're working on and just being transparent about like, here's the things that we're struggling with. Here's what's working. Here's what's not working. And that interaction, I think, continues to build trust. And then you feel really good about, you know, what are you trying to do together? And it feels like a partnership, which is, you know, kind of where we've gotten to. So JumpCloud's product is primarily sold to business. And you have, a, I think, a very powerful and interesting view of how GiveFirst works in the context of JumpCloud, the business, and JumpCloud's product. So maybe riff on that for a bit. Yeah. So, you know, the GiveFirst philosophy, I think, is so ingrained in kind of the mentor-mentee relationship around Techstars. And I've always thought about how do you extend that elsewhere and into the company, into the product. And, you know, for us, we, you know, I'm not sure that we knew what to call it because we started a few years ago. So it might've been before we really had give first in, in the lexicon, but we had this concept of let's give people the chance to use our product kind of without strings attached and let them use it forever. And so we came up with this concept of 10 users free forever. And our real base idea was we want people to fall in love with the product, use the product, fall in love with it. If you like it, then, you know, you can move to the next level with us if that's appropriate for you. And if it's not appropriate for you, but you still love it, well, you're still welcome to use it forever. And then for some people, they may not love it and it doesn't work for them. And then, you know, kind of no, no harm, no foul. They just move on. And I just, I've always felt like that's been a powerful, really powerful part of our model is this concept of giving, giving people without strings attached access to the product. It's the full product. We don't cripple it. We don't time box it. It's there for you to use. It's yours. And, and that's, that's been really, really kind of an interesting journey for us. Yeah. With a lot of, a lot of products, especially consumer products, you often have a, a freemium model. You know, some business products have a freemium freemium approach, right? That I would say more of the default is that it's 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 either limited functionality or, or time box, as you said. You know, you get to use it for a certain period of time. But in a lot of cases, as the user providing something back to the company whose software we're using for free, and you know, you don't have to be very prescient at this point to understand how much users have given, you know, to companies like Google and Facebook in exchange for the, the free usage of their product. How do you sort of normalize that against or, or square that with the notion of give first? And what's, what's the balance line there? That's a super hard question. I'd say I get to duck out of some of that question because we're B2B. So, you know, in a B2B situation, there's not this sort of monetization of data concept in the same way as there is in the consumer side. I would say for the folks out there that are thinking about give first on the consumer side with the intention of monetizing the data pretty quickly, uh, that's a tricky balance. I would say that, you know, there's clearly models that of people that have made it work. Google, Facebook are the two that you mentioned, and they've made it work, you know, to a very significant degree. I think that the part that maybe that is a struggle is that they may have made it work, but not with being fully transparent with the end users on what's really happening. And that's sort of where you get into trouble. So if, if you think about it as give first, I mean, I think the, the hitch to that is really give first really is also without the expectation of receiving anything in return. And, you know, I'd say if it's a consumer model where you're going to monetize the data, that's not really, then you haven't really given first. You're, you're making a trade and you should be honest about what you're doing there. I think on the B2B side, it gets a little easier because there is a higher bar. You're not going to take somebody's data and 
monetize it publicly in general. I mean, obviously I'm sure some people do, but for us, that wasn't ever a consideration. Advertising models weren't ever a consideration. It was really truly about having people fall in love with the product. And if they love it, then they're going to want to continue moving forward with us. So I think we got the easy end of the deal on, on that particular issue. But I would say the other piece of it is on, on the B2B side, very few people give a free product kind of forever. It's mainly we'll give you a piece of it or we'll really limit it by time. That's what we see almost most often. And then the other piece is that there's almost always pressure as the company gets going to get rid of the, the free part of the model. Any other companies come to mind beyond JumpCloud that you think do a particularly good job of, of what you're describing as give first in a B2B context? I mean, my sense is SendGrid was a good example. I think they still do that even after, even after the acquisition by Twilio. Dropbox obviously comes to mind because they give you a lot of storage and they give you opportunities to get more storage. I think they also do an incredible job of, of upgrading people. So they've got a, a good flywheel figured out around that. You know, Google Apps in the very early days gave a tremendous amount away. I think it was 50 users, if I remember right. Then it went down to 25. I think then it went to 10. And then they finally got rid of it. But that also speaks to the pressure that people have to monetize over time. But but definitely, there's there's still people out there who do a great job with it. SendGrid, Dropbox, there's others, I'm sure, that are out there that do it well. Let's shift gears for a couple of minutes. You and Will Herman wrote a book a couple of years ago. Yep. We wrote a book called The Startup Playbook. So that was a, a really fun experience. Tough experience, but it was it was fun. What was tough about it? We went through three full drafts of the book. So we basically rewrote the book three times. Come on, it's um, just a book. How hard could it be to write a book? <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, <laughs> it was painful. But we, I mean, I'd say, I'd say the lasting thing out of that sort of experience for me was the relationship with Will. You know, we hadn't worked sort of in that intense of a way together. I mean, being a board member and CEO is intense, but I think when you're sort of co-authors together, I think it's a different level. I mean, when you're editing somebody else's writing, that feels pretty personal. And I think you take it pretty personally when someone's editing your writing. And But we we figured out how to make it work. And I'm super proud of, you know, kind of the result. I'm super proud of Will and what he did and, you know, making that happen. Startup Playbook wasn't your first book? Nope. We had another book, which you know very <laughs> well. First book. Let's, let's, yep. go, let's go back. Let's travel back in time. What was the title yep. of that first book? So How to Build a Website. And that was another really painful experience, but for a whole host of other reasons. But that was a, that was a really cool experience in a lot of ways too. We as a company at NetGenesis back in, I think it was 94, middle of 94, got a contract to write a book on how to build a website, which was really neat. And we promptly took the advance, which was you know a big check at the time. And we pretty much didn't do anything in terms of writing a book until the publisher sent an author to sit with us, really babysit us to get it done. And then we, we finally got it done by working 24-hour shifts. And uh, there was about six or seven of us that ended up writing it together. And that was a pretty interesting experience, but it was, I think, 700 pages, something like that. Yeah, it's a big so, one. Prima Publishing, yeah, right? Prima Publishing. Do you still yeah. have a copy of it? I still have multiple copies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I would keep that one forever. So that one was, uh, that one was, I, and I, what's amazing is I think we wrote it in about 45 days because the publisher was so upset at us and literally 24 hour shifts of writing. 
Yeah, that's how the best books get written. (laughs) (laughs) The publisher finally says it has to be done on this date. Damn it. Um, Get it done. (laughs) Get it done. And, uh, you know, good thing we were a little younger then. And, you know, you could you could put in the time. So that'd be a lot harder now. Let's end with a couple of rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask you a question and I'd like a short answer up to 30, 60 seconds at most. Okay. Favorite city in the world and why? I'd say Rancho Santa Fe, which you know well. Why is because I get to do what I really love there, which is play tennis. So the second question that I had was, what's your favorite sport and where do you love to play it? But you just answered that. So let's shift from favorite (laughs) sport. And I like to play it with you too. So we get to play together. Yeah, let's shift from favorite sport. Who's your favorite tennis player? Well, oh man, that's a really tough question. I'd say my favorite tennis player is a friend of mine because he's a friend of mine, but um, he's a doubles guy and he's a great player. But I'd say just in terms of game. Well, fess up. What's his name? So people know. Yeah, his name's Artem Sitek and uh, he's a great guy, a great player, unbelievable player. But, you know, so I'd I'd say I enjoy watching him and and, uh, seeing him succeed out there on tour, which is pretty fun. I'd say in terms of just the game itself and, kind of watching it, it's hard not to like Fed and uh, Federer in terms of just how beautiful his game is and how, how great he plays. So anytime I can watch Federer, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. A great book you've read recently. Oh gosh. Um, I'd say play bigger. That one was a good one that I really enjoyed. So really about how do you create a category? So more of a business book, but you know, I think one that was pretty relevant to jump cloud and what we're working on. So I really enjoyed that one. Uh, If you could tell everybody listening to support one charity, one nonprofit, which one would it be? Oh, I'd say the ACLU. Good call. Big fan. Yeah. That's a good one for me, given, uh, given where this country's at right now. So I'd say that that'd be one that I would say, please support that. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? I'll say Federer. How's that? Ah, I'll make it easy. All right. So I'll, I'll keep to this, the sports. Uh, hey, Raj, uh, if you're Ro- Roger, if you're out there listening to Raj, you know, <laughs> dinner in your future if you want it. Exactly. <laughs> well, Raj, thanks for both the time, the conversation, and also just what is now a really, really long friendship. Well, thank you. Yeah, same. Thanks for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or any person that you'd love to hear from on Give First. Please also leave us a rating and review and reach out to us at podcasts at techstars.com where you can reach me on Twitter at bfeld. See you next time. And don't forget to always give first.